Rob Cartledge of robcartledgeministries.com. Titus 2.1 says, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Multitudes of professed Christians around the globe are perplexed when it comes to doctrine and clearly articulating their faith. Because of this lack of understanding, many Christians are believing the most absurd and heretical beliefs. And due to this, we have seen an incredible increase of cultish views even inside of mainstream churches. This series, Critical Doctrine, is to confront this dilemma with clear and precise teaching on the basic foundational doctrines of our faith. Let's turn to Revelation. If you can open your Bibles. We're going to continue in our eschatology series, which is part of our critical doctrine, the overall umbrella of, the, of all these series. And the sermon today is called Seven Trumpet Bowls of God's Wrath. And I've named it that for a deliberate reason. I believe that the seven trumpets spoken of in the book of Revelation and the seven bowls of God's wrath are speaking of the same thing. You ready? It's only a short scripture, our text today, but this is the crux of it. This is why. This is where I got this insight from. Revelation 10.11 says, Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages and kings. You must prophesy again, meaning a second time. You must prophesy now, this scripture here was spoken right at the end or just prior to the seventh trumpet being sounded. He had seen the seven seals broken, then he had heard six trumpets blow. And just before the seventh trumpet was about to blow, he is told, you must prophesy again. But before he prophesies again, the vision that he's currently watching has to come to fulfillment. He's about to see the two witnesses, the three and a half year ministry. He's about to hear the seventh trumpet blown. So it's important that we understand that when he says you must prophesy again, he's just like forewarning him, you're going to prophesy again. It's not that at that very moment he starts prophesying again, but he says you must. And he's getting told that during the current vision. So it's like Revelation is actually two visions. The the apocalypse part of Revelation is actually two visions, in my opinion, according to the scripture. But I'm going to make that more clear as we go through this sermon. Revelation... The word revelation is the act of revealing or disclosing something, especially dramatic disclosure of something not previously known or realised. A lot of people read the book of Revelation and they'll feel like, wow, this is really hard to understand. But the actual word revelation means revealing, so it's actually supposed to reveal something. In theology, it means a manifestation of divine will or truth, God's disclosure of his own nature and his purpose for mankind. So it discloses to us the nature and purpose that God has for mankind. That's what the theological term of revelation means. And it's especially through the words of human intermediaries, so through the words of his prophets who are giving and delivering the revelation. The book of Revelation is not meant to be difficult, and mysterious for it is the revealed truth from God. It is revealed truth. It's not meant to be mysterious, not meant to be hard to understand. But some things revealed are not meant to be fully realized until the end or the time of the end. So there's things, and Daniel spoke about this, that Daniel was told to seal up the vision because it's not meant to be understood until the time of the end. So there's things that are sealed up until the time of the end. You know, there's there's many examples of it, but basically it's things that can only take place at the end. And therefore, without technology, who's going to understand the mark of the beast? Who's going to understand that you could mark everybody on earth with a chip 
the, be their own personal identification number and give them the ability to buy and sell. So prior to the 20th century, no one could understand that verse. They would theorise about it, but they would never fully realise it until the time of the end. didn't mean they didn't understand it, because if you took the Bible literally, you would go, well, there's going to be something that's going to cause everybody to... That everyone's going to have to take that. Without it, you can't buy or sell. So that whatever that thing was. I think for 20 centuries, they would have probably thought it was a tattoo. Just a simple tattoo on the wrist. Now you can buy or sell because you have this tattoo. That would have been my conclusion for 1900 years. And this is a critical doctrine sermon called eschatology. And the eschatology is the study of end times. It is the study of prophecy related to end times. So that's what we're studying today is prophetic words in the Bible that relate to now and to times ahead of now. It's a branch of theology that is concerned with the end of the world or of the end of humankind. I wouldn't say end of humankind. This is just a dif- dictionary definition because it does say that humans still survive it. Don't they? At the end of the book of Revelation, there are still humans on earth. And also we go into the millennium. So we know that it's not the end of humankind. Also, it's a belief or a doctrine concerning the ultimate or final things, such as death, the destiny of humanity, second coming, the last judgment, all those sorts of things. So things that are going to be taking place during the end times. Who's read the book of Revelation? Nearly everybody. The book of Revelation is pretty well, I see it in three parts. The first part, chapters 1 to 3, is gives you a revelation of Jesus Christ in glory. It speaks of Jesus, the Jesus that was on earth in his physical body, now appearing in his physical body in glory. Also, the letter to the churches. So there's letters, the, not the letter, the letters to the churches, which are there's seven letters written to the churches from Jesus Christ, a personal exhortation and rebuke and whatever else in the letters to the churches. And they're very interesting. We're not looking into them today. Chapters 4 to 18, I'll just call it the apocalypse. From all of those chapters, uh, apocalyptic scripture talking about the judgments of God that are going to come upon the earth and a series of visions and and so on. There's quite a lot of symbology in that, but some of it is very literal. You can take it very literally. Now, chapters 19 to 22 speaks of the second coming of Christ. It speaks of the judgment that he's going to bring at that time and also the great white throne judgment, which occurs after the millennium. It talks about the millennium and it talks about eternity once the millennium's finished and we go on into eternity with, with God the Father among us, which is their amazing scriptures. But the area we're going to focus on is the apocalypse today. Okay, we'll be looking at the apocalypse and try to understand how it was intended to be understood. This revelation I came to and I shared it with John and we looked into it and we really aligned a whole lot of stuff. What it helped me to do is it helped me to see revelation better, especially the apocalyptic part. It helped me to understand how that whole section is laid out. Because without this revelation, you would see see the revelation as a whole series of continuous judgments until the end but it's not quite like that the key to this sermon i believe understanding the apocalyptic part of revelation is our text and it says in revelation 10 11 it says and he said unto me thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings that he must prophesy again and that's the the key part the amplified says in revelation 10 11 that then, then they said to me you are to make a fresh prophecy concerning many peoples so a fresh one, 
And I like that as a, you've just made a prophecy, now you're going to get a fresh one to make again so we can see it again in light of the other prophecy. So if you look at the first prophecy without looking at the other prophecy, you, you don't see it completely. But you need the first one and you understand that one, then you add the next one to it and you get greater insight into the first one. Or the first one gives you greater insight into the second one. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So it's quite interesting as we look at this. Over the years, I've always been drawn to this verse where John is told he must prophesy again. And as I took the statement literally, I found that Revelation 4 to 18 can be seen as two prophecies of the same event. This is what I've just been explaining. The first part is Revelation from Revelation 4 to 11. And the second is from Revelation 12 to 18. Now, over this eschatology study that we're going to do, I'm going to try to help us to align uh, all of the previous prophecies prior to the seventh trumpet and uh, first trumpet, sorry, and prior to the first bowl of God's wrath. So if anyone knows what I'm talking about, we're going to align those as well. But today we're just going to be looking at the trumpets and the bowls of God's wrath. And here it is. Today we'll be looking at the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of God's wrath. The seven trumpets is from verses 8 to 11 and the, the seven bowls of God's wrath is all contained in Revelation 16. And we're going to see how they speak of the same series of judgments being poured out on the earth. So many commentators today will try to tell you that the last trumpet spoken of by Paul, this is just a little side issue, but it's important to clarify, that the last trumpet spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52, is not the same as the seventh trumpet blown in Revelation 11. Now, if you don't know these passages, I'm about to show you what they are. They teach this doctrine without scriptural backing so as to support a pre-tribulation rapture position, which does not appear in scripture. At the seventh trumpet, this is one Corinthians, at the last trumpet actually, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 to 52. I'm using the Amplified because I found the Amplified, Amplified it <laughs> a little bit, as it does. It says this, take notice, I tell you a mystery. Now remember those words, I tell you a mystery. This is 1 Corinthians. A secret truth, an event decreed by the hidden purpose or counsel of God. That's the mystery. We shall not all fall asleep in death, but we shall be changed or transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call. For a trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, free and immune from decay, and we shall be changed and transformed. Now that's important because at the, at the last trumpet is when the second coming is, happens. The, we're transformed, we're changed in our imperishable bodies and it all takes place then, according to that scripture. Now I've heard quite a few ministers say that the last trumpet is not the same as the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. Because if it is, it means that Jesus doesn't return until after the tribulation and it means the rapture doesn't occur until after the tribulation. So they have to say that trumpet, the seventh trumpet, is not the same as this one. And the reason they say that is because they will say the seventh trumpet is in the middle of the revel of the tribulation because there's seven bowls of God's wrath to come still. But it so happens that I've discovered that the seven bowls of God's wrath and the seven trumpets are exactly the same. And the seventh trumpet also announces the coming of the Lord in the book of Revelation. So it announces the same thing. And in Revelation 
this is important to have a look at as well. It says, but that, that when the day comes, when the trumpet calls of the seventh angel is about to be sounded, I'm using the King James Version, because, oh, sorry, the Amplified Version. When the trumpet call of the seventh angel is about to be sounded, then God's mystery, notice the word there, God's mystery. What was the word back here in 1 Corinthians? Tell you a mystery. Tell you a mystery. So when, then at that time, God's mystery, the mystery that's talked about here, this, his secret design, his hidden purpose, as he had announced the glad tidings to his servants, the prophets, should be fulfilled, accomplished and completed. So this is just prior to the seventh trumpet being sounded. It says when he sounds it, everything's going to be completed. It's going to be finished. Now this other one says when that last trumpet is sounded, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. So things will be completed. Because it's the same moment, isn't it? Can you see that? And that's important. And, and to some of us here, it might not mean much because we, we don't see the implications. But there is a massive amount of teaching. They believe 90% of evangelical Christianity believes in a pre-tribulation rapture. No sign of it in Scripture, but they believe in it. 90% of evangelical Christians don't think they're going to be around for the tribulation. Yet the Bible doesn't say it. There is no such thing as a secret rapture. It's not in Scripture. If someone can send me an email pointing out where the secret rapture takes place in Scripture, I'll believe it. But I'm not going to believe it just because someone like, you know, Hal Lindsey or Chuck Missler or someone says there's a secret rapture. Well, okay, you can say it, but is that the truth? And the reason why this is so critical and that we understand this is because if we're not prepared to go through a tribulation and then are forced to go through, there's a good chance we'll give up the faith and we'll be part of the great apostasy. But if you're prepared to go through a tribulation, just say you don't have to go through it. So far, you know, there's been a lot of people that have died prior to the tribulation. They've not had to go through it. They were blessed. All right? Remember it says to the Church of Philadelphia that they might not have to go through the tribulation? That doesn't necessarily say they're going to be raptured. It could be just mean that they die beforehand. You know, the only pre-tribulation rapture theory I believe in is the thing called death. You get raptured at death. You go straight to be with the Lord. You know, that is the rapture. Death raptures you to be with the Lord if you're a Christian. So the last trumpet, I'll just clarify this a little bit and then we'll move on. The last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52 is the same as the seventh trumpet, which is about to be sounded in Revelation 11. It's, the reason why it is is because both of them accomplish something. It completes something, which is the same thing, completes the tribulation. If that is the case, then we should hear announcements in Revelation 11, which declare that it is finished. Right? If the seventh trumpet is the completion, as I believe it is, we'll find that the Revelation 11, where it speaks of the seventh trumpet in Santa, that we'll also hear it completes all things. If the trumpet, seventh trumpet, is not the end, if it's only halfway through the tribulational part of the tribulation, which is the, you know, where the, the three and a half years of tribulation, because it's a seven-year period, but the last three and a half years is the real bad part. And if the seventh trumpet is only halfway through that and we've still got seven bowls of God's wrath, then I want to know why, after the seventh trumpet, it says things like this. I'll read it. It won't take long. Revelation 11, 15 to 19. This is the King James. I'm deliberately referring to the King James because people try to say, hey, that's not in the King James. And, you know, got this thing with NIV is not good enough and every other Bible is not good enough except the King James. 
But anyway, Revelation 11, 15, 19, it says this, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What's it saying? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. So as the trumpet sounds, that's when he comes to reign. And the four and twenty elders that which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken thy great power and has reigned. In the NIV, has begun to reign, which is the it's time to reign, that moment there. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is, has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. So now the judgments have been announced to come right now, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets and the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them that which destroy the earth. So they've come to destroy those which destroy the earth. You know, basically those who with evil intent on this planet, and there's plenty of them. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. That sounds like Jesus said, it's time, I'm, I'm here. This is, I've come to reign right now. It doesn't say, you know, these things are still yet to take place after another series of judgments. No, those series of judgments have completed and that's it. End of all things. Jesus is coming. And I just want to point out the wrath that he talks about here. It says uh, in the middle there, which is right there, it says, Thy wrath has come and the time of the dead. Now the wrath... Remember we talked about the Greek words for wrath? Uh, the wrath spoken of here is orgy, which is the wrath of eternal damnation. Unlike the seven bowls of God's wrath, which are poured out, which are, is the thymu wrath, which is the wrath that has an end. Right, the seven bowls of God's wrath have an end. They get poured out and then they com- are completed. Poured out and they're completed. Or the seventh trumpet's the same thing. But the wrath they're talking about here is judgment wrath. It's a wrath where those that have been destroying the earth are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and destroyed forever. And the orge wrath is always used in conjunction with the judgments which are to proceed from the Lord. Now I'll go a bit further with this. While we're looking at that, let's look at the announcements made after the seventh bowl of God's wrath being poured out. All right, in the King James in Revelation 16, 17 to 21, this is the seventh bowl. Or in the King James, it's the seventh vial. Vial or bowl, same thing. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, what is it saying? It is done. It is done. It is completed. And there were voices and thunders and lightning and there was a great earthquake. Sounds like the other one. There was hail, great earthquake. Uh, such as was not seen since men were upon the earth so mighty and an earthquake and so great. So the earthquake took place on earth. And, a, and the great city which was divided into three parts and the cities and the nations fell and great Babylon came into in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath and every island fled away and the mountains were not found and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. That was the hail talked about in the seventh trumpet as well. Every stone about the weight of a talent. That's a pretty heavy piece of hail. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Right now, if you add those two together, if you put them together, you'll get a pretty thorough description of what happens after the seventh trumpet 
is blown and the seventh vial is poured out or the seventh bowl of God's wrath is poured out. It gives a complete description. One was describing it, the seventh trumpet described that he saw in heaven hail earthquake, not in heaven, but he saw them done as the Ark of the Testimony was opened. This one talks about that that hail and that earthquake took place on earth. Big high sense. The talent is about a, is it a kilo or something? Or? Each weighing about 100 pounds, I've got in mind. 100 pounds. 100 pounds, okay. So, 100, so uh, that's about 45 45 pounds. 45 kilos. 45 kilos is 34 kilos. Mm. 45 kilos. We're talking about like heavy jets. That's heavy jets, like, you know. Yeah, well, the hail must be the massive piece of hail. Well, if it was metal, <laughs> snow is light. Oh, ice, isn't as, ice is much lighter than uh, metal, so 45 kilo of metal is like a big plate, you know, like that wide. So hail, it would be a big giant ball. Okay, so after realising that both the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11 and the seventh bowl of God's wrath, which is Revelation 16, has the same outcome, that of accomplishing completing the thymu wrath of God, which is the wrath that has an end, then the obvious study would be to compare all seven trumpets with the seven bowls of God's wrath. That's what I thought anyway. Because I looked and I thought, they're saying the same thing here at the end on the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl of, bowl of God's wrath. They're saying the same thing. What about the other trumpets and, and bowls? Are they saying the same thing? Now, if the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl speak of the same event, then the rest of the trumpets and the bowls should also align by right. What I've concluded is that trumpet sounds in heaven and the bowl of, or vial of God's thymu wrath is poured out on the earth. So the trumpet sounds, and then the bowl is poured out. And then we have the, the judgment taking place on earth. So let's take a look at the first trumpet. So the first trumpet, the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and, the, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and the green grass was burnt up. That's Revelation 8-7. Now, this, this, these two are the only two that don't say exactly the same thing, but you could imagine if hail and fire mingled with blood was cast on the earth, that this would be the outcome. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a, noise, a noisome and grievous sore. So it fell upon them. A noisome is having an offensive smell. So it's a very it's a festering wound type of thing. Fell upon men, which had the mark of the beast. So whatever God pours out in the seventh trumpet, this hail and fire mingled with blood, whatever's in that makes the, the mark of the beast that people have taken makes it fester. It's like a chemical which reacts with the, the RFID chip or whatever technology they're going to use to do that mark. And it fell upon them which worshipped his image. So everyone that was worshipping Satan or the Antichrist, this was the result, was they would have these festering boils break out on them. At first glance, this seems not to relate. However, as we will see as we study the rest of the judgments, these two verses simply explain more of what happens to the earth and those living on it when the first judgment is executed. So we'll go to the second trumpet and then we'll see it more clearly. And the second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. 
This is the second bowl of God's wrath, which is Revelation 16.3, and it says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. So where's this trumpet, the trumpet, and the, the judgment was on the sea? The second bowl, the judgment was on the sea. Do you see? I see. You see? And it became as blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. All right, now there is a problem here with this. It is clear to see the similarities that this judgment was poured out on the sea. You can see that. However, people will say one says a third of the creatures in the sea died and the other says all the living creatures died. Did you notice that? One says a third of the living creatures died and the other one says all of them died. To understand this text and its comparison, we need to look at the literal translation of the Bible. Which reveals the key word that a key word is left out of Revelation eight to eight to nine, and this is important. The literal translation, and do you know the difference between the literal and the King James? King James is word for word, but the literal is directly word for word according to the Greek. The difference there is King James will make it readable, and sometimes they'll leave out words which will which might make it less understandable. But the literal translation will leave them all in, regardless. And sometimes when you read a literal, literal translation, it can be difficult reading because the Greek, the way they, uh, the sentence structures are very different to English sentence structures. So am I right in saying that? These Greek students here. Okay, and the second angel, this is the second trumpet, and the second angel sounded as, and as it were, a great mountain. So this is the literal translation. A great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea, and get this bit, and had souls. That's the verse that's left out of the King James. It says, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had souls died and the third part of the ships were destroyed so the third part of the creatures in the sea those that had souls died so the second bowl says the same thing and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea so the word for soul in both verses is the greek word psyche which is the word for vital breath or breath of life so I believe they're talking of whales because they have vital breath, don't they? They have breath. They don't use gills. They breathe air. They breathe oxygen. Whales, dolphins, seals, whether you, you call them sea creatures because they live in the sea but they sleep on the land. You know, that's the only difference. But they all use air. And there's probably uh, other creatures that, yeah, anything that lives in the sea but has a soul as in the soul like a man, was breathed air. So both of these scriptures speak of creatures in the sea with souls being wiped out, and they're going to get wiped out completely. Both of those, the second trumpet and the second vial, wipe all the creatures with souls. Have we seen a lot of dolphins and, and uh, whales getting washed up on beaches? Mm-hmm. Right, that's, that's probably the beginning of it, but there's going to come a time when they just all, just the whole lot are gone. You won't see him ever again, you know, and that's coming. 
But Revelation 8, 9 says this, And a third part of the creatures which are in the sea, which had souls, died. So a third of the sea creatures consists of the creatures with souls. And they all die. So there's an estimated third of the creatures of the sea have souls. It's interesting, isn't it? And in Revelation 16.3, of course, it says every living soul dies. So it's saying the same thing. Can you see that now? Now, that was my only discrepancy. That was the thing that I couldn't see. How did the trumpets line up with the bowls? Because there was a discrepancy. One says a third and one says every. And uh, therefore, what commentators who believe that these are two separate things, the seventh trumpets and seven vials, what they'll say is they call the seventh trumpets the thirds, the judgments of thirds. And then the seven bowls will be complete. Third trumpet now. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers. That's again why they say the third's judgment. And upon the fountains of water. And the name of the star, or just go back on that, so it fell on rivers and fountains of water. All right, this is the fresh water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. That's Revelation 8, 10 to 11. Now let's look at what it says in the third bowl. It says, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. So where? Upon the rivers and the fountains of waters. It's exactly the same, isn't it? Same judgment. And they became blood. So the result of this Wormwood star which fell on the waters, is the water becomes blood. If you line these up, because they're saying the same thing. They're just two different descriptions of the same thing. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous. <coughs> so the angel of this judgment, or the angel of the waters, said, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which are, and wast, and shall be, because thou hast judged us, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, and for they are worthy of drinking blood. And I heard another out of the older say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. All right, so drinking this water, what does it say? If you drink this blood water, it says many, many men will die of the waters because they were made bitter. They're made bitter by this wormwood which causes it, the water to become blood. Can you see how they line up saying similar things? Yeah. The fourth trumpet says this, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. You can see how they called the trumpets the third judgments of thirds. So as a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone, not a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now the fourth bowl is poured out, Revelation 16, 8-9, and it says this, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Okay, so the, first, the fourth trumpet, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and the third part of the sun was smitten. And this one he's talking about from the sun's perspective now. So when we, this is, the fourth bowl gives us a bit more description of what happens to people because of this vial being poured out upon the sun. It says, and the fourth angel sent, uh, poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which have power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. So that's interesting, isn't it? The same again. And the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth. This is Revelation 9, 1 to 12. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, 
And as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke from the pit. Now I'm going to read a bit more because it's a, a little bit longer, but I'm going to read from the NIV because I didn't bring my King James out. Revelation 9, 9, 1 to 12. So the sun and the sky were darkened because of the smoke that came up from the abyss. So this was an angel came down and was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. So these locusts sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. So there's five months worth of torture here. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So it would be pretty painful. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They'll long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts. Uh, looked like horses prepared for battle. This is a description of the locusts. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. These are pretty fierce locusts. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, who's Satan, or the Antichrist. And then it says, the first woe is past, and two other woes are yet to come. So that was considered the first woe is when those five, the six seals were open, or the seventh seal had been opened, and five trumpet blasts, and that was considered at that time the first woe. Two more woes to go, and that's the sixth trumpet, and then the seventh trumpet. And then if we have a look at Revelation 16, 10 to 11, it says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. They gnawed their tongues for pain. Now, it doesn't say why they gnawed their tongues for pain, but in Revelation 9, 1 to 12, we hear that's because they got stung by these locusts and they're gnawing their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed their God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they repented not of their deeds. You see how that little bit there just sort of adds on to what we've just read in Revelation 9, 1 to 12? Yeah? Yeah? You're getting it? Sixth trumpet, <clears throat> this is the last trumpet that we're going to look at because we've already done the seventh trumpet because we know what happens. It's the same outcome. And we might just go straight to uh, the sixth trumpet as it's written here. All right, who's got their Bibles open? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go from 13. It says, the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. That's a big army. And I heard the number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they were to inflict injury. That is one mutated horse. Mm -hmm. 
The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see, hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. So after all of these judgments, they're still unrepentant. God's pouring out his wrath on an unrepentant earth and in an effort to say repent or something worse is going to happen to you, and they still did not repent. They are that bent on evil. Now let's have a look at the sixth bowl. Uh, we'll read that in the Bible as well. Revelation 16. Revelation 16, 12. It says this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Isn't that interesting? The sixth trumpet talks of the river Euphrates. And the sixth bowl also, River Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. The kings from the east, the 200 million man army, China. The kings of the east, so they're going to come through and the River Euphrates dries up. Why? So they can get across it without, him, without having to get around it. Because when you're moving 200 million men, you don't want any, anything in the way. <laughs> And you don't want to all have to cross a skinny little bridge, do you? <laughs> you would just be there for years trying to cross the skinny bridge. So the six angel pointed his bowl, great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Then I saw three evil spirits. Now, the three evil spirits, and there was here, and the other one it said four. And the four angels had been kept ready for this very hour, day, month, and year. It was released to kill a third of mankind. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Right, different things. Four angels, three unclean spirits. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. They've got different jobs to do. He says this, this is very interesting and I'm going to close with this little bit of information. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And that's when the seventh trumpet and the seventh angel pours out his bowl of God's wrath. And that's when it completes all things. So the point of it is, is when you see the book of Revelation, especially the apocalyptic side, and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of God's wrath as aligned, it changes your whole perception when you read the book of Revelation you see it in a very different light, especially those that have been studying it a lot, as, as I have over the years and many others. And when you can see this line up, it simplifies the book of Revelation. And over the coming months, I will show other areas how they align as well. There was one last thing we're going to look at, and this is important. Who remembers when I taught a little bit about the doctrine of imminency a few months ago? Yeah? Well, the uh, pre-tribulation rapturists believe that the imminent return of Christ is any time. God could take us right now if he chose to. If you believe in a secret rapture, then, yeah, what's stopping him? Because he says he comes like a thief. And they say that his references to coming like a thief are always pre-tribulational. But right here, it's interesting to note that Jesus said, just before the seventh bowl of God's wrath is poured out on earth, what does he say? Just before the seventh bowl is poured out, he says, Behold, I come as a thief. So where's that occurring? 
Is it pre-tribulational? No, it's just just before the very end of the tribulation. He again says, behold, I come like a thief. So the, the tribulation has been taking place. Seven seals have been broken. Six trumpets and six bowls of God's wrath have been poured out. And at the end of the sixth bowl of God's wrath, the word tells us that he says, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he would walk naked and they see his shame. So this reference to coming like a thief is not pre-tribulational. He's trying to tell us something. His imminent return is after the seventh trumpet. And what that means is we don't know how long or when exactly, but just be ready, just get ready, even now, because there could be people falling away from the truth even at that late stage, saying if God's a God of love and he's doing all this destruction to the earth, I don't believe in him anymore. So if Jesus is mentioning his imminent return this far into the tribulation, then I believe that the doctrine of imminency needs an overhaul. It really does. I think theologians really have to re-examine their theology there because it's it's misleading. It misrepresents Christ. Uh, Christ didn't didn't tell us he could come at any moment. He told us even at, after the sixth trumpet to be prepared for his coming because it still hasn't taken place yet. Yeah, and you don't go creating a, a doctrine of a secret rapture to compensate for that, because it's not in the Bible. Why do you say? Why do they teach what's not there? I don't understand. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I I pray that this word has had some effect on some of us here, just in the sense that we can understand this part of Scripture a little bit better. And I know for some of us here, it was probably just um, over their heads. But I pray, Lord, that you'll um, uh, something would have got in and, and benefited us today as uh, this word was preached. And I just pray that you uh, will bless the rest of this day. Uh, fill us with your spirit. Help us to um, walk always strong in you and uh, full of joy and happiness in you, but also soberly so that we can uh, help others to come to know you and bring them to a knowledge of the truth. Lord, as this word was telling us today, that even after all these terrible things have taken place on earth, that still men did not repent, that still they did not turn from their immorality. And Lord, we just pray for our families and friends and loved ones and those that we know who uh, on the surface they've got good hearts. We can see that, but we know all men, there's no one righteous. All men have sinned and fall short. Uh, but, Lord, we just pray for these people that, you know, that need to know you, need to give their hearts to you and, and walk in you completely. We just pray that you can open their eyes before these tribulations take place, before these things that are spoken of in the Bible come upon this earth. And I pray that you ready the church for it also, Lord, because many in the church are not ready. And your word says that there's going to be a great apostasy. Many people will fall away from, from you at the time of the breaking of the first seal, right through to the sixth trumpet. It says that many will not repent. And, uh, and we know that there's going to be this great apostasy, as I was just saying, that um, is going to take place also. Uh, where people will be turning away from Jesus in, in the millions. And we just pray for you to curb that those numbers so less will fall away. Lord, prepare more people for this time. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. 
If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.